Hello, and welcome to Enter the Fold, a Shadow and Bone podcast. I'm Caitlin, your host who has read the books. And I am Andy Kay, your host who still has not read the books. This week, we are talking about Episode 3, The Making at the Heart of the World, written by Dagan Frickland and directed by Dan Liu. I'm like 90% sure that I said those names right. I wouldn't have known if you didn't. And before we get into it, I have a, a fun story. Oh, I like fun stories. So I had, or I guess continuing fun stories about Caitlin's book club. Uh, mm. We had a meeting Friday night, like a virtual meeting, and we decided to watch three episodes of Shadow and Bone, starting with this episode. And just after it started, we were like, oh, we should have had a drinking game, which means we sort of came up with one on the fly. And the rules were to drink whenever there was a flashback, oh. whenever there was a voiceover, and whenever <laughs> Alina used her powers. So when I say I was drunker than I've been since 2019, when we could drink with people, I, I'm not joking. <laughs> I was I was really messed up that night. Yeah, there's a lot of VO and a lot of flashbacks in this one. We watched like four episodes and it was oh, really bad. Wow. Okay. So if anybody else out there feels like messing themselves up on a Friday night and therefore making Saturday just a nothing day, I did nothing but sit on the couch yesterday. Wow. Um, highly recommend. We had a really good time. I bet. What were you drinking? I was making myself these gin cocktails. Uh... They were gin, Cointreau, uh, some rosemary simple syrup that I made, some soda water, and some lemon juice. Actually, sounds kind of delicious. It was so good. <laughs> when we were talking the next morning, I realized I had like seven of them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, okay. Do, do you even remember anything that happened? I mean, we had, I remember we had a good time and we laughed a lot and that's, that's what we wanted. That's what matters. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully you have since rewatched this episode and, and taken notes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, third episode, third title card. Yeah, we got crows this time. Yes. Yes. It's not quite as pretty as the first two title cards, but this one had a lot more movement to it because of all the crows. Yeah. Um, and made me wonder, are we going to get to see more of the crows in this episode than we've been seeing? I was just trying to think if there was, was more time with them. I guess this episode is really like they have a story. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like not a lot happens in this episode again. Like a lot happens, but it doesn't. There's not a lot of action. How about that? Um, but I feel like a fair amount of it is more like maybe it's just that more time passes with the crows than with Alina because we only got like a day in Alina's life. Right. And it felt like we were with the crows for longer than that. Which is weird because technically like they would still be ahead or maybe they would have caught up now because it took them like two weeks to, to on a ship here. Oh, that makes sense, actually. I like that. We can assume the timelines have synced up now. Okay. Okay. Oh, because they the, the crows had to get to, to uh, where the conductor yeah. is. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but after the opening card, we open with a dream of a stag. The antlers on this thing are gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And I guess just in general, this is this is the animal episode. It is. Because we're introduced to the other most important animal in the series. <laughs> I don't know which one I would put ahead of the other. Oh, I mean, I think cuteness has to win, so it's going to have to be Milo. I love Milo so much, but we're not there yet. Okay. I know, I know. Alina is writing a letter to Mal, which accounts for a lot of the voiceover in the uh, this episode, which is a lot of my, my, my own personal doom there. 
Yeah, this episode is weird because we don't get a lot of action on Alina's side, but we do get her entire perspective is basically her letter to Mal. Mm -hmm. And so we get a few visuals and then we get a lot of her voice. Yeah. Both at the beginning and the end. And then interspersed with all of that is Kaz and his crew. It's just odd. I liked it, though. It's a good way to to convey a lot of the emotion, I suppose, without it being boring. Yeah, we definitely still get some of her sarcasm, particularly at the beginning. Yeah. When she's talking about how they hold her with, like, absolute utter respect. But what we're seeing is clearly yeah, not opposite. that. Yeah. Yeah. So she she's still maintaining her sass and sarcasm, and I love that about her. Yeah, I do, too. And then Jenya walks in. Yay, Jenya. Do you, do you, when you look at this actress, does she feel somewhat familiar to you? No. Not at all? Okay. No. Should she, she be? Well, not her in particular, but once, once I'm, I, you'll see it now. Her name is Daisy Head, and she is the daughter of Rupert Giles, Anthony Stewart Head. <gasps> no. Yeah. I did not know that. You'll be able to see it going forward. Well, I can see it now in my head. Yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. Neat. Um, they don't really go into it here, but Jenya is a Grisha, and she is, but the, her kefta that she's wearing is not one of the colors that everybody else wears. In fact, she is wearing the same color that all these servants are wearing. She is a servant of the queen? Yes. Um, we find out she is a tailor, mm-hmm. which means she she's different than a healer. She can heal, and she can fix things, but she can also modify the body. Yeah. And we see her... Um, fix some of the scars on Alina's face. Alina, she's going to fix the scar on Alina's hand. Alina doesn't let her because she's sentimental and it's a reminder of home. But I think it's in this scene that she says that she's been changing herself since she was three and she was tested when she was 11 and that's when she was given to the queen. Yeah, that Kerrigan gifted her to the queen. Mm, Yeah. Just as an aside, all the servants are very rude to Alina, including one of them being rather racist. And I just think it's interesting that none of them seem to care that she's the sun summoner. Like, a lot of other people seem impressed about Mm -hmm. that, but they're just like, ugh, what is this? Yeah, she smells bad, and she's from Shu. Yeah, one of the servants asked Jenya, well, told Jenya to, like, change her eyes and make them less Shu. And I really like that the first thing that Alina says to Jenya is, like specifically to her is please don't change my eyes. Yeah. Um, that's nice that, that Alina's she's desperately trying to cling to who she is, you know, and I think that's, that's something that comes up a few times in her voiceover. Cause later in the episode, she, in her letter to mouse, she asks if, if this is me and, and these powers are true and I am the sun summoner, what does that make me? Who does that make me? Mm-hmm. Because then I am everything that we've ever mocked. And I like that we get these little, slivers of her still just trying to to be who she believes herself to be yeah and then i think we cut over to the crows and them they have they've reached west rovka and they have the conductor whose name i think is archon with them i don't recall him being called anything besides the conductor in this episode they call could be wrong something sometime whatever the conductor and uh, well, we find out that Kaz thinks Alina is fake, mm-hmm. but Inej does not, or at least Inej has faith that she does not. And then the conductor says that they're going to meet up with Nina, who has been helping him smuggle Grisha out of Ravka, which is interesting because it's the first sort of hint that we get that maybe not all the Grisha want to be in the second army. 
Yeah. Um, apparently, Nina's views are radical um, because she believes that Grisha should be allowed to choose rather than being forced into service for the Second Army. Yeah. It's interesting that they bring that up here because I feel like the books didn't bring that up until later that maybe General Kerrigan has made this safe place for the Grisha, but not all of them want to be soldiers. Mm. And just as an aside, in the books, Nina is very much described as being a plus size character. And Danielle Galligan is great and does a really, really wonderful job with Nina. And I think she acts her perfectly. But I mean, just because she has boobs doesn't make her plus size. So yeah, kind of think they went a little Hollywood with the casting there. Okay. But whatever. I really like her. Yeah, no, Nina's great. And the actress Danielle Galligan does a fabulous job with her. And I'm not upset about that or anything. I just, it's just, it's just Hollywood, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we get to see her being Nina, I guess, doing what she does because she uses her powers to get out of paying her overdue yeah. rent or whatever to the, the landlord hotel keeper person. And she says, she tells him to let the conductor up to see her so that, you know, it's just reconfirming that this is who the conductor is telling Kaz about in that moment. Mm-hmm. And instead, Fjordans show up to take her from the Drus- Druskella. The Druskella show up, yeah. The Druskella show up. Um, She fights back, but they still take her. The fight scene is great. I love it. I love love that she just immediately, she's like, I don't care that there's, you know, four of you standing there. I'm going to do everything I can to not get taken, and they still take her. Um, I think they call her witch. Yep. They don't say much. They basically just walk in, say, you're a witch, and then, like, physically attack her and drag her away. Mm Mm-hmm. And I actually really, really love the scene where um, just after Nina's taken and then the camera sort of pans down across the road, uh, across the ground and the and you can see the time pass with the sun moving and then it pans up and uh, Kaz and the group are in the room. Yeah. Sort of investigating. That one was really well done. Yeah, definitely. Um, they realize that the Druskella have taken her because they find the little wolf brooch thing. Yeah. And uh, one of them does say here that Druskella are ruthless Grisha hunters, which I guess might not have actually been communicated yet in the show. No, it was because the, it was the Druskella that attacked Alina. Um, and so they, they told us about them okay. in episode two. Two? Was that episode two? That maybe? was two, yeah. Yeah. Um, so so they've, you know, we've, we've seen them before. and But this version of the Druskella looks slightly different than that version because you complained last episode that how they look like Bushmen, essentially. Yeah. Um, and there's still a little bit of that here, but they they seemed more civilized. That's a terrible word to use whenever they're kidnapping women, but do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. By they, appearance, at least. They did look a little bit more like they were in uniform. Yeah, yes. That's it. That's it. Which is great. One of the guys here, I'm unsure, but I think he's supposed to be a character named Broom. And he's just not at all how I pictured him. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's just a random higher up Juskella and not, not Broom. I, I don't know. But I thought he was supposed to be, and... He just doesn't look how I pictured Broom at all. Okay. I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah. That's all. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Um, everybody except for Kaz wants to abandon the quest because they don't have Nina. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we get one of my favorite lines in the episode, of course, from Jesper. Oh, yeah. Because um, Kaz says, oh, what does he say? He says, I know what one million Kruger mean to me. What does it mean to you? And Jesper says, fun. Like, at least a few months. Yeah. <laughs> 
And he says it with like, this great grin on his face. He does. He does. Yeah. He absolutely does. Like, because he knows he's being a smartass and he just goes with it. And it just, it makes me laugh. Yeah, he's great. And Inesh I, says, I adore him. Yeah. Uh, Inesh says freedom and the conductor says retirement. So they're going on. Mm-hmm. And then the conductor lists what they're going to need, which includes 20 pounds of alabaster coal, jerda, which is like a, a it's almost a drug. It's like a stimulant. You, you chew it to stay awake. Okay. Okay. That was unclear in this episode what it was. Yeah. They never really explained. Um, and then he sort of looks Jesper up and down and he says, and a goat. Yeah. I missed that the first time. Like the first time I was just like, okay, it's it's a list, you know, Cole, Jerda, and a goat. And I thought that the goat, just like Jesper and Kaz did, I yeah. thought the goat was going to be bait for the Volcra. And so... After watching it the first time and seeing what the goat was actually for, watching it again this morning, I totally picked up on the way the conductor was like, let's look Jasper up and down. He looks kind of antsy. Yeah. We need a goat. (laughs) So good. And then I'm just, I'm so thankful to the show for giving me this bit where, you know, Kaz Brecker, dirty hands, the bastard of the barrel saying, I'll get the goat. It's so good. And then he walks down the street carrying a goat. Yeah. Like, it's not even, like, walking beside him on a lead like it is later in the episode. He's carrying the goat down the street. I love it so much. It's so ridiculous. And I can, I, I, some of the writers of the show I follow on Twitter, and one of them has mentioned that they kind of had to fight to have the goat in. And I can absolutely understand we're on paper. It's like, I don't think this is going to work. Mm. But it's totally so good. <laughs> yeah, no, it totally worked. I'm glad they won that fight. Yeah. And then so Kaz gives out everyone's jobs. Nina's Nina. Uh, Inej is going to get the Jurda. He's going to get the goat. And Jesper, he gives some money to get the coal and very specifically says no detours. But he's Jesper and he cannot help himself. Yeah. Uh, so he hears some gambling on his way to get the coal and gives into temptation. He does. He God, this this actor, I don't know his name, but he Kit does Young. this so well. Yeah. Um, just because, like, you can see it in his face. He he sees the table. You can tell he wants to go, but he's like, nope, no distractions. He walks on, and then he hears them say something like, place your bets or whatever, and he, like, stops mid-stride. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's just like, nope, I can't do it. I have to go gamble. I have to. You know, and he just conveys all of that in his body language. Yeah, it's good. He does a good job with that. And it's kind of played for laughs here. So I did actually want to make clear that Jesper's gambling addiction is taken very seriously in the books. And it causes intense problems that are never for laughs. Oh, okay. Well, this was, yeah, everything about this in this episode was played for a laugh. Yeah. I mean, even though it, it was perilous and, you know, they're being shot at at the end, it was still all definitely comedic. Yeah. It, mm. it whenever his addiction uh, results in consequences for for what's happening, there's it's never played for laughs in the book. Okay, I mean I get why they did that here because it's a great scene, and I really wouldn't change anything. I just wanted to make clear that they don't actually think addiction is a joke. Yeah. Okay. And then we go to Alina in a veil, which is kind of a joke. Yeah, my note here is the veil is ridiculous. <laughs> I love that was not in the book. In this scene, but it's so good because it's just like, what the fuck? Like, it would be less ridiculous if it wasn't gold. Or, like, not much, but yeah. slightly. 
I, I, I don't think it would because what color would be less ridiculous? Well, okay. So if it was white, it would be too bridal. If it's black, then she looks like she's in mourning. So I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, the veil is ridiculous and it only gets worse. Um, I'm going to skip ahead for a second. When she actually walks into the throne room. Yeah. And she's just like ogling, like her face is like staring up at the sky in the room. And all you can see is this veil like stopping at her chin. It's just utterly, utterly ridiculous and should not have happened. Well, I assume that's what they were going for. Like that it was like that she looked ridiculous in it, but that it was King's orders, you know? Mm. Okay, fair enough. It says something about the King at any rate that nobody could see her face until he did. Mm. Yeah. That's fair. Um, on the way to the throne room, we run back into Kerrigan. Right. Um, I think this is, you know, he's not in this episode hardly at all, but we learn a little bit more about their powers. He he corrects her and says it's not magic. It's small science mm-hmm. um, because they don't conjure from nothing. They manipulate what already exists. And yes. I like that detail. That is that is a good, important detail. Just to go back just a little bit, on the walk, Jenya does sort of list everyone who's going to be there, which is King Pyotr, the Queen, who I don't think she mentions her name, and then the Crown Prince Vasily, and then she also says the spiritual advisor, the apparat, is going to be there and calls him a greasy rat. That's an apt description based on what we see later. Yeah. But then, yes, we get the small science. Although I think it's interesting that they called this episode the making at the heart of the world, but they don't. They don't go into that. They kind of almost went into it. I, I'm I, not, I don't actually yeah. know what that means. The Oh, God, am I going to be able to go into it? Do I remember the details in the books? Basically, it's sort of part of their Grisha theory. I, I don't want to say theory, but like that the making at the heart of the world is what gives them their power. And Oh, OK. Yeah, they haven't talked about thing. that at all. Like yeah. where Grisha come from. Like, I think it's interesting. Um that so far it appears that Grisha only come from Ravka. Yeah. Which is, that's, you know, and I, I don't I don't know anything else about them. That's unfortunate because that's not true at all. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Grisha come from anywhere. Just a lot of them move to Ravka because Ravka has this whole system for them to be treated well. Mm. I have not yet seen that be true in the show. No, it... I. I guess you could kind of take the hint just because of how multicultural the the Grisha are at the Little Palace, but we don't really know that the country of Ravka isn't that way. So it, yeah, yeah, but yeah, a lot of a lot of Grisha from over the world. Like if you're a, if you're ten years old in Fierda and you start realizing you have Grisha powers, your parents might get you out of there so that you know their government doesn't kill you. Right. <laughs> I wonder if his parents would kill you. And the the little palace will take in any any Grisha, and then you're part of the army. But you're treated, you know, you're trained, and you're safe. But you are at that point considered Ravkin. I don't know. Right? How, I don't know how their like citizenry works. Mm. Like, yeah. do you have okay, to pass a fair. politics test? I don't know. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So we get Alina's test for the king. She has to show her power. Um, mm-hmm. Kirgan summons darkness into the room. Which is a beautiful shot yeah, as, really as the good. darkness overtakes everything. And then he holds Alina's hand so she can call the sun. Mm-hmm. I love this shot because the two of them in her little light bubble, like yeah. her face is radiating light, but Kerrigan's face is still shadowed. Mm-hmm. Like that close to that source of light, but he's still standing in the dark because that's what he is. You know, he's the darkling. He's summoner of shadows. It's really good. And I just love the way they visually set that up. It's a really great scene. 
and I like it a lot. Unfortunately, a friend of mine said, oh, she looks like a glow worm. And now that's all I can picture. Oh, no. Yeah. Before that, though, we do get a bit of politics just from Kerrigan because, uh, what's her face? Alina asks him, you know, like, aren't you in charge of the Kreisha? And he says, the king is still the king. And I think yeah. that, that is an important line from uh, Kerrigan. I think it's weird that the king is on is in East Ravka and that he has managed to maintain power with the fold where it is for all these centuries. Like, that just seems backwards. Hmm. Well, we do hear that West Ravka does want to secede. Right, but it's taken centuries for them to get to this point. That's true. I can maybe see where originally, like, um, like for a while, there would have been families on either side, and they would have felt, like, loyal to the, yeah. to the king, maybe. And maybe that's just slowly disappeared. But I guess yeah, there is a lot to be said for loyalty. Yeah. But it is, so. it is kind of strange that it's taken so long. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Then we get the next best line in the episode. Uh, what line? Welcome home, Miss Starkov. Oh, that is good. Yes. And the way he says it. Yeah. I, I like that whole scene. Was there anything right before that that you were going to talk about? No, I thought you were going to skip after that. And there's something no. just after it that I want to talk about. <laughs> no, he he basically tells her, you know, welcome home, Miss Starkov. And like her face changes. And then the other Grisha all like welcome her and they hug her. And you can see they are accepting her for who she is, which is an entirely different experience than she's ever had in her life mm-hmm. coming from... The orphanage. The only place she's ever felt accepted is with her, you know, few friends in the army. But really, she was only accepted there because of Mal. And the fact that she was hiding. Well, unknowingly hiding that she was a Grisha. Right. Exactly. Um, Unfortunately, we do get uh, Zoya's true colors here. And I'm very disappointed in her. I Okay. So first of all, I assume you missed it. But the first Grisha who hugs her in the purple kefta is the author of the books, Lee Bardugo. I missed, yeah, did yeah. not notice. And I I love that Lee got to be there and got to wear a kefta. Like, I'm really, that must have been hugely special for her. Author cameos I hate, though. They always pull me out of the story. <laughs> Except this one you love. <laughs> well, I'm kind of of two minds about it because... She's, like, way too happy hugging her. Like, as she should be, you know? But, like, as Lee, mm. as a person should be. Right. You know, seeing this, seeing her her stories come to life in front of her. And I'd love that for her. But it every time I see it, I'm just like, I don't think anybody would be that happy. I don't She's know. She's the sun summoner. They, they would be. Because I, I didn't pick up. I didn't know. And I didn't pick up on it and as didn't. being out of place. Okay. Well, that that's good to know then. Um, that maybe, because they all yeah. seem to be really excited to meet her. Um Except for Zoya. I hate that they had her say something racist. Because she could have just said, you stink of the orphanage, you know, and yeah. and left it there. She I mean, I would still hate her. Th- yeah, too, exactly. But um, yeah, I just, I they set her up to be somebody that I would like because I, you know, I love my sassy women. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I do. And that's how she was introduced to us. And I was like, oh, she's going to be awesome. And then she does this. And then later we get her being a ass wipe at the combat training and I'm I'm just so disappointed in Zoya. I was hoping she was going to be a character I would like, but she's I I feel like she's unredeemable at this point. I wouldn't feel she was unredeemable if they hadn't put in that half breed line. Mm, Cuz okay. that's terrible. Yeah. Like I the reasons why I don't think she is unredeemable we're going to talk about a lot later. So I'm not going to get into it here. But god, that line just sucks and it makes me hate her. And mm-hmm. Book Zoya, I love to death. She is oh, really? amazing. Okay. 
did Book Zoya like hate? Oh yeah, yeah, Elena? yeah, yeah. She they did. did okay, yeah, okay. they hate. Yeah, one hundred percent. But she still loved her. Not right away. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see if if my mind changes. But right now, mm, like I've crossed her off my list. That's fair. It's fair. Um, but then we get Kaz walking around with a goat under his arm. <laughs> it's so good. It's pretty good. I have a question about this scene, though. I thought you were going to say I have a question about the goat. <laughs> no, no. Right now, the goat's just just cute. Okay. And, and Kaz holding the goat is adorable, and I love it. But um, So in this scene, he stops to see somebody speaking at a rally, you know, talking about seceding from East Ravka, mm-hmm. which is a great follow-on to the scene we just had with the king. Yeah. What's going on with the weird masks? So... <laughs> They're creepy as fuck, they and they are. don't explain them, and I, what, why? So the only thing I can think is that because they're in, like, a town square, maybe there was, like, a play or something going on, because they're obviously, they're supposed to be Volcra, the, the, the monsters in the fold. So I, that that's the <laughs> only thing I can think, that there was some sort of huh. show happening that we just don't see. Okay, maybe there was like a deleted scene or something that would explain it. Or or we were supposed to pick up on it in the background somewhere and either mm. it was out of shot or we're both just okay. blind, even though I've watched this episode like five times. Yeah, it's just, they're creepy they're as fuck. So and they don't, creepy. they just don't make sense. Like, and the first time I watched it, like they completely took me out because I was expecting... Yep. Like, and, and this may come partially because I've also just recently watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And so the Flag Smashers and that all wore masks right before they, like, right, right. did a thing. And so I was expecting them to, like, do a thing. Like, are these people important? Are they going to respond to the person who's speaking and, like, suddenly start beating people up and being like, you have to follow us and do what we say. And then they're just standing there and they don't do anything. They definitely stole the attention. I wasn't looking at Kaz or anything else that was going on because I was like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Are they there? Okay. Um, and then Kaz sees the conductor um, mm-hmm. shaking hands and going in to meet with the dude who had just been riling everybody up and speaking about seceding from. Yeah, he's Ruffin. general something or other. I don't know. Not important. The dude who wants to secede. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we get Inej looking at, I guess, a list of names of people who have died in the fold, trying to yeah, find Yeah, it looked like a parents. memorial wall. Yeah. Kaz tells her, however, that she should not be taking detours and that having hope is dangerous and she just needs to move on. He's kind of brutal about it. Honestly, for Kaz, I thought he was pretty nice. Okay. <laughs> I, All right. I will. Uh, so I mentioned this last time also that I, I felt that they have made Kaz nicer than he is in the books or softer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've read other people with the, with the same thought online, but I've also read somebody like coming back with um, the fact that this is sort of supposed to be a prequel to Six of Crows and that he would be softer because it happens before. And I'm like, that doesn't, that makes less sense mm. because it's Inej and Jesper and the rest of the crows, you know, he's sort of forced to trust them. And through doing so, he learns that he can. And that's what makes him softer in the books. It isn't, he would be more of an asshole if it was earlier. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I get why they did it because they don't want us to hate him. Yeah. And having his point of view chapters in the book really helps you understand why he is the way he is. So I 100% understand why they've written him the way they've written him. And I think it works wonderfully. It just, he is softer than he is in the books. I'm curious. I'm really interested about reading the books because, like, he just seems like an absolute asshole to me. And for you to say this is a softer version, that he's 
worse than this in the books, but you still love him. Yeah. Like, I really want to see how that works. I I genuinely think Six of Crows is almost a perfectly written book. Like, it's one of my favorite books ever, and I can't think of a single complaint I have against it. It's just wonderful. Okay. All right. Well, I will get to it eventually. I'm excited for it. Podcast first. Podcast first. Um, so then we're with Nina on a ship, and she's being chained up. Yeah. Apparently, when the Fjordans capture Grisha, they take them to Fjorda to stand trial for being a Grisha, mm-hmm. which Nina rightly points out is a joke, because honestly, how many Grisha have ever been found innocent in these trials? Yeah. And I love how, I guess I won't say his name since we don't learn it here, but the dude chaining her up takes great offense when she's like, maybe you're just a slaver. <laughs> <laughs> He's really upset about that, but he he doesn't mind just murdering people. Yeah. I like Nina in this as well. Like yeah. she is the the contrast between her and the other women who are captive on the on the ship are it's very different. Um, because at this point and, and it may be because she's still new, like she's just been captured. Mm-hmm. So they haven't broken her yet, but she's very fiery and ferocious and she's intent on being heard. Mm-hmm. And she's, I mean, she's probably terrified, but she's not acting like she's scared. Yeah. Intent on being heard. I like that. That's very Nina. Uh, So far, I like her. Yeah. No, this scene is good. Uh, I thought they did a good job with that. I wish they'd been speaking Fjerden, not Rovkin. Mm. Because I don't think this dude would know Rovkin. Okay. This, I mean, the speaking language for everybody in the show is English, so. (laughs) Well, they do have people speak in Rovkin sometimes. Uh, Sorry, in Fjerden. Mm. so I don't, okay. I don't know it, it's a small detail it doesn't matter I'm just being picky okay okay yeah I- I'm curious about what's going to happen to Nina because um I mean she was supposed to be part of the plan to go get Alina for the crows and clearly that hasn't worked so what is the story here why are we still following her mm-hmm. I guess that'll be interesting but then we're back to Kaz and Inej and the conductor and Jesper is late. And I don't think I would want to approach the fold at night. I feel like it would be difficult to see where the, you know, where it started and nighttime, regular nighttime mm-hmm. began. And I'd be like, Mm-mm, nope. I mean, I guess the conductor is familiar enough with it to understand. I guess. I mean, um, that's actually but, a fair point. I wouldn't want to go anywhere near it during the day either. Yeah. So, But his goal is to keep the train from being seen. Yeah, so he, he I don't understand how they kept the train from being seen here because they were being chased by other people. But then it did sound like those people probably got blown up by the landmine, so it's probably okay. But yeah, those poor dudes. <laughs> some guy stole their, you know, some stuff that they were trying to sell, and they got blown up. Yeah, that's unfortunate. A little bit. But we never learned anything about them. So moving on. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Jasper only got sixteen pounds of alabaster coal, even though they needed twenty. That's a great scene, though, when he's like, and so I stole 20 pounds. And the dude's like, this is 16, 16 pounds of alabaster coal. <laughs> um, and Kaz immediately picks up on the problem. Is that enough to get us through? And the conductor's just like, it's never been done. I don't know. And we're like, well, this just went to shit. And then they're off into the fold. Everyone's favorite place. And we cut back to Alina. And it is time for combat training, and we meet Botkin, who we never see again in the show. And I'm really sad about it because I love Botkin in the books, but that's fine. Oh, was that his name, the trainer dude? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't pick up on it because this is really the only scene we saw him in. 
Yeah, it's, um, it's sad. I understand, though. They have to cut down on some stuff, but I just, I love Buckin in the books. Yeah, this scene makes me laugh because he's, you know, he's telling her, you know, you have to have combat training and be able to fight and blah, blah, blah. And, and she's like, she has this flashback to Mal teaching her how to punch. Mm-hmm. Clearly, she does not know how to punch when he's teaching her. And she comes, she's like, I've had some training. You'd think, like, that doesn't count as training. <laughs> But she's in the first army. She must have had some real training too, right? She's a map maker though. I, I don't know. It seems weird that they wouldn't at least have some training. Like maybe they just had like arms training. I don't know. Yeah. Like guns. But she's had some training. So the dude is like, okay, well, you know, pick a comp- opponent. Let's see what you got. And so after Zoya's unfortunate comment earlier, she picks Zoya. Mm-hmm. Um, who takes Alina down relatively quickly twice in a row. Yeah, and then Alina punches her in the face, yes, which she I do does. love. I do. I love it, but it pisses Zoya off, and so she, she uses her squalor powers to throw her across the room or the courtyard. Yeah. So in the book, when they're training with Botkin, there's very, very strict no powers rules. So when Zoya does that, it's it's a huge deal. I mean, she gets in trouble for it, but she gets in trouble for it because Alina's the sun summoner. Yeah. Um. But we do get a brief glimpse. Um, apparently, Alina was knocked unconscious for a moment because she dreams about the stag again. Right. Yes. Another like completely unrelated to the plot thing that I find very distracting in this scene is that Alina's Kefta is like 10 times nicer than everybody else's. And I don't know if that's like a real world budgeting thing or if that's like an in world they just made Alina's Kefta nicer or everyone else has like combat specific Keftas. I, I don't know. But it's really weird that she has this vibrant blue, like, long. it's longer than everybody else's. It's vibranter, and everyone else is basically just wearing fleets. I mean, I think I assumed it's just because it was newer. Maybe. Maybe. I don't, there's, like, one million in-world reasons it could be. But I just remember being like, whoa. And it distracted mm. me. Okay. I think every time I see Alina in the Kefta, I feel like she's uncomfortable. But they look so nice and cozy. No, I agree with you, though. <laughs> so, I just want yeah. I mean, they're bulletproof, so yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not really worried about it, but yeah, that would be nice, I guess. Um, I do love, after Alina has her quick flash to the to a, another stag, another stag flash. I, I don't know what else to call that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nadia and Marie run over and pick her up. And I love Nadia. She's great. Uh, I love the actress that they've cast for her. Nadia's the one who has the line about how Zoya should be with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know why she wastes her time on Kerrigan when she could be with me or something like that. Yeah, and I I love how they've cast her here, and I'm excited because she has a larger role kind of later on okay. in the books, and I'm excited to see it. Interesting. We get more letter writing to Mal. Yes. And this is where we learn that she's been dreaming about the stag for a long time. Yeah, since she was a kid. And then she has like a light bulb moment and she goes off to the library for research and we get to meet the apparat. Who really does look like a greasy rat. Yeah. When I was watching this scene with my sister, she was like, why is the librarian so creepy? And I had to pause and be like, no, no, no. Let me explain. Yeah. So my note says he's creepy AF, but seems like he wants to be helpful. Seems like he wants to be helpful. That is actually... The most apparat line ever. He seems like he wants to be helpful. <laughs> I feel like you're trying to tell me something about the future and I just don't get it. So, well, 
I, I think he was cast and is played here to perfection. Um, he gives us some exposition on Grisha history a little bit, mm-hmm. um, specifically about the stag. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Grisha a long time ago called the Bonesmith, mm-hmm. who apparently made creatures from his own finger bones, which sounds horribly painful. Yeah. And if you kill one of them, uh, you can meld a piece of it into your body, and that will amplify the Grisha's power. Mm-hmm. But it only works for the Grisha who killed the animal. Yeah. So they don't really go into amplifiers too much here. But there are other animals than the three he made who work as amplifiers that you can kill and meld their bones into you. And that is what you saw on Zoya's wrist in the first episode, her amplifier. Okay. Okay. So then I was right then. These are the bones that they're talking about in Shadow and Bone? Yes. Okay. All right, because this is also she, you know, she picks up one of those books and she's reading about the Bone Road, and I was like, oh, we are hearing the word bone for the first time in the in the show, um, and you would expect bones to play a larger role if it's in the title of the show. Yes, I'm trying to think. The bone, yeah, the Bone Road is a an area on the map, like it's a referring to a place. Okay. Um, then we go to Bagra next. Oh, no, no, no. Whoa, 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 whoa. we got to go back to this. The amplifiers. This is important. <laughs> he shows her a book uh, with a picture of the dude who made the amplifiers. And you see a picture of, like, his bony hand, which I assume is the bones he used to create these animals. And then there's a picture of three other animals, one of which is the stag. Okay. I only remember seeing the stag in that picture. There are three animals. Okay. Wait, so this is the same stag that he made, like, Hundreds of years ago? It's a mythical creature. Okay. So nobody's ever managed to kill it. But what? If, so then, I mean, you just said more than just these three can be used for amplifiers, right? Yes. Okay. But these are like super extra special powerful. Yeah, because they're mythical. Like, uh, um, it's not every animal, but some animals are amplifiers. And if you kill them, you can use them. I believe Zoya's is a, oh God, a tiger, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay. And again, it's not like every tiger. You have to find a specific tiger. I don't know how they find them or what that is about, but yes. So it's more than just these three creatures who are amplifiers. Okay. Well, I guess these three creatures and General Kerrigan, which we learn about in a moment. Yes. Um, Yeah. Sorry. Now we can move on. Okay. Yeah. So Alina goes to Bagra for training next. And I'm sorry, she lives in a weird dark cave, but I feel like if you're going to be named Bagra, you have to live in a weird dark cave. (laughs) (laughs) yeah in the book she lives in like a hut and i assume that they were trying to make it like less like haggard's hut you know (laughs) (laughs) so they gave her this weird creepy cave i think it works it's great yeah um and this is when we find out that the reason that alina has been able to do her powers so far is because kerrigan was holding her hand because Mm -hmm. he's an amplifier and alina says human amplifiers don't exist and bagger's like you don't know anything yep so, which is, I mean, true about a lot of things. Uh, her methods are interesting. Like, she kind of cuts her down with words. She smacks her around with a cane. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, it, it's very much a tough love situation, but I'm not sure there's any love in there. It's just tough. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, and then she kicks her out and tells her to come back when she believes that she's the Sun Summoner. Which, you know, who, who knows when that's going to be. Yeah, it, it's interesting because this, I mean, so the, the 
the whole section with Alina in this episode is, like I said before, about her identity mm-hmm. and her figuring out who she is. And it's it's an interesting like development arc for her, even in just this one episode going from, you know, believing she answers Bagger's question here, where, where do you belong or where are you from? as with her friends in the first army mm-hmm. and baggers like, don't you belong here? And Alina says, that's what they tell me. Right. But we've also seen her respond, you know, because of the welcome home, Miss Starkov and the way they hugged her and all of that. And so she's starting to accept the possibility that there yeah. are people. And we see it when she's in the dining room with other people later. And so it's just, they've done this really, really well, the way that they're showing her change in perception of herself. I agree. I, I agree absolutely. And and I like that they're doing it slowly. Mm-hmm. That she doesn't get there and be like, ooh, I am Grisha now. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, even though clearly she does have this power. I mean, she even questions that later, but I, it, I understand why she questions it in the context that she does. But, like, she knows she has this power, mm-hmm. and it's still just – but that can't be me. Like, I've always been the orphan from, uh, where's she from? Karamzin. Ke- Karamzin. That's what it is. I was like, it, it sounds like something. That doesn't sound like a real word. So, I don't know. It's just, it's really well done. That's all I'm trying to say. No, I absolutely agree. And I think it's written well. I think it's acted well. Like, Jesse May Lee does a fabulous job here. And this whole episode, she does a really good job. Mm-hmm. So... Yes, I don't have anything else to add. Okay. Quick moment back on the train. We learned that there's a section of the train that does not have tracks. Yeah. And Jesper understandably freaks out. <laughs> We're on tracks that aren't connected to other tracks. Yeah. The only thing I could think during this scene is the movie Speed, when he finds out the highway isn't complete. Oh, And I was yeah. like, oh my God, it's it's fantasy speed. <laughs> Um, so hopefully the Volcra don't attack because they're already running a little bit slow. Um, but of course you, you can't jinx things like that and yep. they're gonna attack. And before we actually see any of it, we cut back to Alina. And we're at a fancy dinner and I love the, uh, Akazatsia taster who comes up. He's fabulous. We see him for like two seconds and mm-hmm. I love him. I mean, he loves his job. Yeah. Just gets to eat fancy food until he dies from it. I always enjoy when when a show does like a good job of giving you these like really quick side characters and making mm-hmm. them fabulous. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, I don't like the dude. I don't know his uh, name. I don't even know Ivan. if we know his name. Is that that's Ivan? That's Ivan. He was in the the carriage with. Oh, okay, that was like, Ivan and Fedor in the carriage with her. He is giving essentially a, a report of what's happening at the front of who's yeah. died. And he calls Alina out and basically says, I don't know why you're in here even eating because you should be training every waking moment to take on the fold. Like he just put the weight of the entire war on this girl's shoulders mm-hmm. who's only known she's been a Grisha for a day. And I mean, that is not days. okay. Okay, f- fine. Four days. <laughs> That's not okay. No. My note here was Ivan being a dick. What else is new? Okay. I guess. I, I mean, he he was pretty gruff in the in the carriage as well. And I, I think the other guy, Fyodor? Fedger. Fedger. He, wasn't that, he was like, well, he means well or something like that. He said that, but I mean, 
does he? (laughs) We haven't seen it. I don't know. He's an ass here. And to call her out like that in front of everybody was uncalled for. Yeah, it's pretty shitty. Uh, But then we're back in the fold. And one of the Volcra that's chasing them, like, stabs itself on something on the train. And its gross blood, like, comes pouring in. I didn't enjoy that. It was super gross. Wait, did you say you did enjoy that? It was no, super no, gross? No, no, sorry. I did not. Okay. <laughs> it's like, that's interesting. Um, this is the first time we've seen Volcra up close, isn't it? We didn't get this close of a look in episode one, did we? No, I... I the, the last Volker that we see that, like, opens up the train is, like, the best look that we get at the Volker, and we really get to see their design. Yeah, okay. Um, Jesper's panicking, because of course he is. Yeah. And so the conductor says, Jesper, grab the goat. So you thought Jesper's line earlier was the best line of the episode, but I'm sorry. The conductor's line, I need you to calm down, hug the goat, shut the hell up. That's the best line in the episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, the goat is an emotional support animal. It's fantastic. It's so good. It's so good. And it works. It works. And I also just love the implication from earlier that he took like one look at Jesper and was like, you're going to need something to get through this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So good. Yep. Um, But Jesper calms down enough from holding the goat to shoot all of the Volcra. That seems to be his superpower. Like, he can shoot things without missing. He is very good. I'm I'm not sure he can do it without twirling his gun, but, you know. I mean, he has to look good when he's doing it. Ah, okay. That's right. That's that's Jesper's real superpower. Looking good. So. My note about this was just Jesper and Milo to the rescue. Do we know the goat's name is Milo at this point? No, that's next episode. That's next episode. Okay. Milo. Um, Yeah, well, the goat's name is Milo, guys. (laughs) Um, They do manage to make it out of the fold. Um, I have a couple of comments kind of about the physics of all of this stuff. How he Um, got the poles in the ground without being eaten? Wonderful question. How he has that ominous line about how they're already behind, which means they're going to stop in the fold, but then they do make it out. Also, interesting question. Sorry, carry on. Oh, yes. Or how the only way they're going to make it to the next set of tracks is if nobody shifts their weight and then they freaking get attacked by Volcra, who yeah. clearly have shifted the weight of the thing. Yeah. I think That's sometimes all. with fantasy, you just kind of got to you just, just got to go, go with, with it. it. All right. Yeah. So they made it out of the fold all yeah. the way out into the daylight. Thanks to the goat. <laughs> And uh, we end the episode the way we started with Alina's voiceover. And surprise, surprise, she thinks Mal is her home because she loves him. I love this. I do. I really do. I love that when the episode opened, it's all Alina with her false bravado Mm -hmm. being sarcastic and snarky about how everybody is giving her the utmost respect and she has a great room and great food and blah 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 but at the end of the episode she's honest and vulnerable and real you know she's she flat out says that she's scared Mm -hmm. what if she really is the miracle that everybody's been waiting for Mm -hmm. um she's scared of both succeeding and failing who is she it's it's fantastic and then we get this line about cardinal cardinal north um, which is the direction on a map versus true north, which is home, and that Mal is her true north. And it just makes my heart go all a flutter and go, aww. It's a good scene. It, it is really good. And 
um, like her character development is happening at a reasonable pace and I enjoy it because it is actual true development. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that we get to see the rawness of her. Like that's, I don't, I love voiceover. I mean, I do voiceover. So right. of course I love voiceover, but like in movies and shows, I, it can be really distracting, but it is one of the only ways to get that internal point of view. And sometimes you just need that. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to get that for Alina. Um, and they they did it really, really well. It was just the right combination of third person and internal monologue. Yeah. And I think I, I enjoy how a lot of what we see here is her just wanting things to go back to how they were. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously never going to happen, even if even if she did, you know, march back to the army, it, it would never go back to how it was, right? Right. But I think that that is just a real real human thing to be like, please, please, just just rewind, <laughs> just bring it back. Yeah. I don't like change. Yeah, that actually reminds me of a, an earlier line that we didn't talk about, but it was mm-hmm. from Jenya. Um, Alina said. I've only been a Grisha for a day. Right. And Jenya was like, no, you've only known you're a Grisha for a day. You've been a Grisha your whole life. Yeah. And that is, that's the idea that Alina is grappling with, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's good. It's just good. It is good. I, I have to tell you, and I know I've said this in the other episodes too, I did not expect the show to be this good. As somebody who's read the books, I really, really hoped it was going to be good. And I know because because I've read the books, I bring up every time that I'm like, oh, they changed this and it's, you know, blah, 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 blah. All that aside, I love this show. I think they did a fabulous job. Yeah. I think it's so well cast and acted and written and it looks amazing. Oh, yeah. So it's beautiful. I am very, very happy. And I just I bring up my criticisms to talk about them, you know, not because I'm upset about them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I get it. But yeah, no, I, I agree. It's really great. And I'm I'm also honestly surprised about how much I like it because adaptations are difficult. Mm-hmm. And when they first announced that they were doing the, the Six of Crows characters at the same time, I was like, what? That makes no sense. That doesn't work. But they made it work, like to the point that I I would hate if they weren't there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. So, yeah, it's fabulous. I, I'm so glad it's good. Yeah, for sure. So I am like, gosh, there's only like five more episodes to go. Yeah. And then <laughs> like there and, needs to be more. And they haven't announced season two yet. Or they haven't said that oh, it's Oh, they're happening. going to. That's they're absolutely. So there's no way they're not going to. I enjoy your optimism because I feel that way also. But until we can actually celebrate, there's a part of me that's like, <laughs> like I, I am avoiding spoilers obsessively, um, and it's like I've only read like that one article that I sent to you about Kaz's casting, right? Yes. Um, so, so when I see things about it, like I don't click through because I'm afraid of being spoiled about the book because. All of the articles that I'm seeing are like, well, let's tell you what these things really mean. And I'm like, oh, that means they're going to go into detail on the book. And I I don't want to know that yet. So I'm skimming them. But I am seeing articles everywhere on Twitter, on Facebook. It's trending on TikTok. Yeah. People are talking about it. And and so I feel like there's no way it's not going to get renewed. I'm honestly surprised about how blasé they are about spoilers. Like I get there's seven books out there that you can go read. 
and you know it doesn't so they don't need to keep things under lock and key the way like marvel does but although marvel is based on comics whatever but even before the show was out i know i saw an interview where ben barnes spoiled something about one of the characters and i was like what that's a secret in the books until it oh, comes wow. out you know <laughs> but everyone was just like fine with it and i thought i thought that meant that they were going to talk about it this season but they don't they hint at it but they don't talk about it and i was like why oh. was why was it okay that he said that then what why do they not care so i think you were doing the right thing and just staying away even though some of them are very good yeah i i want yeah. to like i want to click through and read more um because i'm loving it and i feel like i'm missing part of the conversation by not being able to mm-hmm. but i also am really enjoying just being in the moment yeah with it and so it it's an interesting dichotomy yeah it's hard because thinking about it they talk about they talk about characters that aren't there they like i've seen so many interviews where they just talk about the books as though everybody watching the show already knows Mm -hmm. which is just an interesting tack that they've taken yeah yeah so i'm avoiding it probably the right choice all right before we wrap up I wanted to propose to you a new section here uh, on the podcast that we do every week where we choose an episode MVP. Ooh. And obviously, I don't want us to take this seriously. I mean, the only appropriate answer for this episode is the goat. Absolutely. This Milo inspired this new (laughs) section that we are going forward because I was like, we can't just end this and not give him his due. Absolutely. I I am... 100% 100% on board for that. So episode three MVP is without a doubt the goat. Yes. Uh, he got them through the fold. The Kaz, Inez, Jesper, the conductor all would have died, eaten by Volgra without him. So therefore, he has saved everyone's lives. And is this episode's MVP? Done. We should like print up a trophy and mail it to the goat. <laughs> to the goat. He was played yes. by two goats, actually. Oh, fancy. Yes. But yes, so going forward, episode MVP will be a thing. I like it. Wonderful. All right. If you have any suggestions for MVPs coming up, you can tweet us at EnterTheFoldPod or email us at EnterTheFoldPod at gmail.com or, you know, tweet us whatever you want. It doesn't have to be MVPs. Uh, I'm Caitlin, <laughs> and you can follow me and find my other shows on Twitter at InferiorCaitlin. I am Mandy Kay, and you can find this show and all of the other Eloquent Gushing shows at eloquentgushing.com. We are also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can follow me at Mandy Kay. And remember, when people say impossible, they usually mean improbable. Was that line in this episode? No. All the lines that I say at the end are lines that my favorite character says. But he's not in this book or or (laughs) season. I just thought his presence was needed.